today I'm going to look at two songs, not just one, but two. And uh, we're going to do this, but I want to start with a third one. Uh, this is one that I have not done, or not really done, uh, but I want to read Psalm 23. So I want to open up to Psalm 23 first, and I want to read Psalm 23. And I'm going to use that as some background uh, in the conversation of where we are. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the most beautiful, the most familiar and the most uh, well-known psalm that we have. And most would agree that it is their favorite if they were naming. Um, you know, Henry Ward Beecher, who was a 19th century preacher, said that Psalm 23 is the nightingale of the psalms, the nightingale. Now that's a beautiful bird, right? And um, so, we look at that, we think about that, and as lovely as the psalm is, there is one sour note in it. Uh, it is a line that is at least unpretty, if not ugly, and it's brief, but the psalm is so familiar it could easily escape our notice. Uh, and That is in Psalm 23, 5, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So remember, David has enemies. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for tuning us in every week. Lord, you don't have to, but you do. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of uh, your daily broadcast. Lord, we, uh, as we think about this in terms of a broadcast like we have here on Facebook, God, I just thank you that you have given us these avenues to keep together, to continue sharing your gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to learn and glean from your word, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your ministry. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. I pray this in your holy and precious name, our rock and our redeemer, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, I I want us to remember David's enemies are present. Uh, if we go back to that verse one more time, Psalm 23, 5, Thou preparest the table before me, in the presence of mine enemies. David has enemies, and among the pleasant visions that he has been reciting in this psalm, there is a banquet of for David. Um, you know, and he's, he's laying it out there. He's saying, my enemies are present at this banquet. You are honoring me in front of my enemies. Now, that could be perceived possibly in a negative way. But it seems that they're not participants in the celebration. But, you know, either way that it goes, the point is that David's enemies are jealous to see the honor that he is receiving. That he's receiving honor, and they are jealous of that honor that's being bestowed. And it is this pleasant vision expressed in that single line. Uh, conflicts between people are common. 
conflicts between people are common and we're seeing that more than we probably ever thought we would around us in the world today. But conflicts seem common. Sometimes others make it unavoidable for us to have enemies. Um, David found it that way. He faced many enemies in his life, beginning with Goliath and the Philistines as a whole and other neighboring countries, even his own son. So David faced enemies. And it seems like the troubles that we go through, enemies just happen to be there for us. But I want to read a couple of these Psalms real quickly for you. First, Psalm 58. Psalm 58 says, Do ye indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do ye judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart we work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as they as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their prison is like the prison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually when he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows. Let them be as cut in pieces. As a snail which melteth, let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun. For your pots can fill the thorns. He shall take them away as with the whirlwind both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth vengeance, he shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. Now, I want you to keep that marked. Turn over to Psalm 109. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. I'm only going to read the first 20 verses. But I want you to hear this today. Psalm 109, Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed about me also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love they are adversaries, but I gave myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let the children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of the desolate places. Desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath, and let the stranger spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth, because that he remembered not to show mercy, but 
but persecuted the poor and needy man, and he might even slay the broken in heart. As he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighted not in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing, like as with his garment, so let it come into his bowels like water and like oil in his bones. Let it be unto him as the garment which covereth him, for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Let this be the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord, and let and of them that speak evil against my soul. That's powerful. Um, it's a struggle. It's a tr troublesome thought. And let me ask a question. We talk about the Psalms being a hymn book for the Israelites. Did they really sing these Psalms? And if that's the case and the 23rd Psalm is a nightingale, then are these buzzards? Um, David actually is calling for God to wreak vengeance on his own enemies specifying in detail how God should bring it, and David expects to get satisfaction from it. Um, Jesus said to pray for those that despitefully use you. Pray for your enemies. Pray for the, your, your adversaries. Pray for, not for their death, but for. Is the man after God's own heart showing us in these Psalms how to pray for our enemies? I don't think so. I don't know. Um, when we read the Bible, especially when we read a difficult passage like these, the thought should be foremost in our minds. What are we intended to take away divinely from this knowledge? What, what are we divinely to be inspired? Or how are we to be divinely inspired with this knowledge? So I want to dive into that. I, I want to recognize a couple of things first. The details are spelled out. Uh, Numbers 35, 9 through 29, Deuteronomy 19, 1 through 13. Uh, when a person is ca has caused the death of another, the law provided for an avenger uh, or an avenger of blood. The word avenger is the original, uh, in the original Hebrew, literally means near kinsman or to act as a near kinsman. So the closest of kin. Six cities of refuge were located among the tribal territories and as directed by instructions given to Moses long in advance of the entrance into Canaan, the specific cities are named in Joshua 20. So just given that little bit of background and that history here, um, the institution of these cities of refuge was a very different thing from the heathen sanctuaries where the guilty were protected these cities of refuge merely protected the refugee from the avenger until the case could be heard before the congregation. If they declared the killer to have committed unintentional manslaughter, he was confined to the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Um, if they declared him guilty of murder, he was given over to the vengeance of the avenger um, of blood. Cities of refuge were never intended to save a criminal from punishment that he deserved, but were simply established for the purpose of securing a just sentence, whereas a pagan sanctuary actually allowed the purpose of rescuing the criminal from the punishment that he legally deserved. And in no case was a person who committed uh, intentional murder spared. 
it was not merely the Avengers' right to kill the murderer. It was the duty of the Avenger to carry out vengeance according to the Torah. This is the arrangement that God had in place, but the passages are also in the law. Um, Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. So these commands that God gives have to do with situations except those specifically defined to the contrary, where the taking of revenge would seem a reflexive response. So consistent with context, what we are looking at here are not national enemies, which are a different you know, different subject and are not treated by these instructions, but personal enemies. So contextually speaking, it appears we're looking at personal enemies of David. Uh, secondly, I want to stress this, and I cannot stress this enough. We are not under those laws. We may have enemies. What are we to do about it? What is the answer to the problem of our enemies? Again, we are not under the Old Testament law. So if we have um, enemies, Romans 12, 19 can be applied to our personal enemies. Uh, when evil is done to us personally, it says, Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. We just read that, actually, um, in Deuteronomy. So, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will collect. Leave it to me. That is the words of God. Hebrews 10, 28 through 30, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. I can't state this enough. All vengeance belongs to God. And in no case is it our place to exercise vengeance on our enemies we are never to retaliate on our enemies. So someone crossed you. Let it go. I know that's a hard thing to do, but it is no in, in no way, shape, or form is it our place to retaliate vengeance on our enemies. God knows when and how to do it. He tells that in Deuteronomy. Nor is it our place to wreak vengeance on God's enemies. It's not our place to pour out vengeance on behalf of God or ourselves. Um, in fact, David's son wrote Proverbs 24, 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. But these scriptures are in the negative. 
They tell us what we are not to do. Is that all there is to be said? Well, Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Intellectually, we agree with Jesus because it comes under the heading of what he commands we must obey, right? When Jesus commands us to do something, we have to obey. Otherwise, we are not his friends. Whether we are to love our enemies or not is not an open question, but an answered question, which is no question at all. Jesus is telling us, love our enemies. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. That does not specify enemies or friends. That says you are my friend. If you love one another as I have loved you, that is my command to you. And you sacrifice and you put that to work, then I love you and you are my friend. There's nothing I can say to make this any clearer than it already is understood to be. No one that is watching this today, no one that is present in this today, needs persuading that what God commands we must do. I firmly believe there's not a soul of you out there that's watching this that needs to be convinced that when God speaks, you listen. When God commands, you do. But loving enemies is a really, really, really difficult task, right? But God would want me to do that. But God would. God wants you to love your enemy. God wants you to love your enemies. I cannot make it more clear. You don't love an enemy simply by applying brute force upon bitter and unwilling hearts. And minds because we must love we we have to love but God demands love God instructs us to love we can say love them already and be done with it or Jesus did it so we can and convince ourselves that in some way we can claim to have complied with Jesus command but I'm gonna say this to you I suggest this today and I want you to hear me on this the love your enemies part while it's commanded, it's not merely a command to be obeyed. It can never be successful if it's just an obeyed command. I mean, let's not kid ourselves about that statement and the fact that there are many of us today that love our enemies simply because we have to. How many times have we heard the words, I love you because I have to? I've, I've said those words before. I know that they come out, and, and I've had to really think about that as I look at this, this is a very convicting conversation I am having with you today. It is not possible to have identical, fervent, loving relationships with every person we know. I get that. It's not possible for us to have that. We can claim and pretend to love everyone with identical affection, and to pretend we do would be a lie. Feigned love will eventually disintegrate. When we don't really love the person, when we say we love the person, but we may not really love the person, eventually that love will disintegrate. God does not require what we cannot do. God doesn't require what we cannot do. Jesus loved the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests. He loved them enough to die for them, just as he died for you and I. The Bible shows that he did not have the same uh, relationship with them that he had with the disciples with his mother, with Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus and Mary Magdalene. 
I do not believe that loving your enemies is about that. Jesus teaches us about loving our enemies. It's a part of a larger set of principles that we must understand. Those principles are at the very heart of rehabilitation for us. The, the, the exact heart of rehabilitative and co comprehensive uh, alteration of our entire constitution. I'm not talking the U.S. Constitution. I'm literally talking about our Christian constitution. We do not need to think of this as an enforceable edict, but an all-encompassing change made upon us that we consciously submit to. This is a change in us that happens that we submit to. God works the change. We allow it to work. It is so a complete change, or it's so complete a change that regeneration happens. It's how we're born again. It's that change of heart, the complete change of heart that God brings to us, that he changes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh that can love everyone. We have to come to those terms today. Remember 1 John chapter 4. I've talked about it a lot. I've talked a lot about love. And love has to happen because God's love is in us, not our own. I'm not talking about love that you have for someone. I'm talking about the love that God has for them. And we can love them in that way as well. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want to clarify something. In Christ, everything about those two words falls in two categories. Salvation of the soul and rehabilitation, transformation, and change of the soul. The salvation of the soul and the rehabilitation, the transformation, the change of the soul. That, those two words in Christ, those imply Christ-like. Those imply that we have become Christian. Christian. Move that word to the end. Christ, Christ end. Christian. That is where we are. Loving our enemies isn't just something we must do, but the outworking of something we must be. Not just what we do, who we actually are. It implies a comprehensive top to bottom, recreation of our entire person, regeneration of our entire self. The transformation requires the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renew means to make new again. Transformed is from the Greek uh, metamorpho, which is the same word that describes what happened to Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration, that's the same word used for this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with the unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This answers where the transformation of Christians comes from, the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Lord is is the spirit that changes us.
I've never been able to give an analytical account for how the spirit works uh, within a person. I don't know anyone that has, honestly. But the metamorphosis produces an entirely different way of thinking and living. It, it recreates everything about our mind, body, and soul. It recreates who we are. That regeneration that happens is a complete recreation of who we are. In Romans 6, 4, Paul connects the new life in Jesus with the baptism into the death of Christ, the resurrection into the newness of life. So baptism is not just a ticket into heaven. It's an absolute surrender, not to an enemy, but a surrender to a metamorphosis, a surrender to a change, a, a surrender to a transformation. And the best friend that you'll ever have, it's not a change that we must make, but a change that Christ makes within us. It's not a change we do. Nothing I do is going to save me, offer me salvation, give me anything more. But a change Christ makes within me. That change that Christ makes within me is the same change he makes within you. Nowhere in scripture is the Christian expected to submit to a change as a, as, as a revolutionary as with regard to the enemy. Um, in fact, transformation doesn't mean there's something to give up. Uh, to be justified, Abram had to give up Isaac. But in the end, Isaac went home with him. What do we have to give up to love our enemy? Pride? Um, our desire for vengeance or retaliation? The notion that the enemy has, has to be made to understand the severity of the wrong that's been done? The belief that offenders must pay for their offenses and the desire to see it done? Um, these are all rationalizations that we might hang on to. Uh, we hang on to them as if it's something precious. We don't want to let go of it. Um, we hold a grudge. And we sit and stew. But loving your enemies doesn't amount to anything until the words on paper become flesh. Until they become blood, heart, mind, and soul. Uh, the words have to be enacted to become real. They have to actually be. It has to be done. Uh, the words we see in the scripture have to become action in us for it to happen. The actions of love doesn't mean that we love our enemies until the love is the force behind the actions. That change will make us like Christ. And it will make us like David. Um, let's look at another psalm real quickly of David as we continue this conversation. And um, it's in Second Sam or it's Second Samuel chapter one. And I know it may seem odd to call this a psalm, but Second Samuel chapter one, starting in verse seventeen, um, it's it, it, it's quite literally a psalm. Uh, going through verse 27. And David lamented with this lament over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah, Judah to use the bow 
Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ascalon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor the fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet, and other delights, who put in on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the... How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for me, for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? Now, what happened? between Psalm 58 and 109 and 2 Samuel 1. David poured his anger out to God. David was venting and God was listening. Um, so is venting then to God a proper kind of prayer, maybe dealing with our angry feelings by calling on God to punish others? I, we can discuss that if you want I me. Mean, you know, but the reality is it doesn't seem that David necessarily unloaded this on his enemies, but to God. How many of us have cried out to God with our anger, our frustrations, our hurts, our Facebook posts that continue to become divisive? I'm going to tell you, when you do that, it changes some things. Cry out to God with those concerns. Don't take it to Facebook. Don't take it to this uh, Facebook post and, and argue and bring up divisive things. You know, maybe that is something we need to do sometimes. Maybe we need to cry out to God and unload on God so that we don't unload on our enemy. What will God do? You know, um, should we take away from this that we must pull ourselves into this process and put ourselves at the mercy of bullies and others who intend to harm us? Basically, this whole, here I am, eat me alive, go for it, take me, do what you will, attitude? No. But it honestly might seem that way to your enemies. Believe me, it's... It's interesting when your enemies think that you're not, you know, they think they've won. They always think they can. We place ourselves under God's protection. David, again, can be a model for this. He did not retaliate against Saul. Um, is there some help for us in this as well? 
I mean, I think so. Because in Psalm 37, Psalm 37, verses 32 and 33, we see something. It says, The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power, nor let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. God is not putting us at the mercy of our enemies. God is watching over us and protecting us, even when it feels like he's not. Folks, if there's anything I can tell you out of all of this, is that these psalms, while they're cried out in lament, while, you know, laments are okay. Crying out to the Lord out of pain and suffering and anguish is okay. When we cry out to God in that way, when we cry out in such a way, we come broken. Have you ever cried out to God from your pain? Because then you can carry it forward and love your enemy. David crying out for his enemy's destruction to God, whether God answered that prayer or not, he got it out of his system. Have you ever just needed to vent? But you didn't want to take it to God because, well, God won't care. I can't say those things to God, so I'll find somebody else and say it to them. God cares. He loves you. And he wants to see you complete what is best for you. It starts with our entire change of heart. That complete regeneration that is brought about by the salvation that only Christ can offer. Nothing more, nothing less. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to fix our heart. It has to come from God himself. God must regenerate us in the proper way. As we close, I'm going to close in prayer. If you have a decision you need to make, contact me. Send a private message. We'd love to talk with you. I want to help you in whatever way I can. Not me, but God through me. I do believe that these two psalms can teach us a lesson about how we can let go sometimes. Because through that, David again can love. Sometimes it's okay just to vent. Sometimes it's okay just to let it out. Sometimes it's okay just to scream at God. I mean, we're studying the book of Job. That's what Job is doing. Where we're at. I mean, tonight we're going to look at part of that. Where Job is calling out God in that way. And God will set him straight. Just as he will each one of us. But do you have that relationship with God? where you can love your enemy enough not to take it out on them? Maybe we should start there. It starts with that new creation, and that new creation can only be made by Christ. And it's what we celebrate each week when we come around the table. Such a wonderful blessing His love is for us. Let's pray, and if you have a decision to make, pray with me. And, uh, 
let me know. Get in touch with me somehow. Because I'd love to talk with you about leading you through that process. If you have a heart that needs to be changed. Let's pray before the Lord today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again just to come before you. Lord, as you have shown us many ways, Lord, as you have shown us so many things, God, I pray that we would just come to you with our desires and concerns. Lord, if we're going through a hard time where we're thinking about things in the way that David was in these Psalms, then God, I pray we cry out to you and not take those things in action to others. Help us to live in a way that is worthy of you. God, I know we go through difficult days, but God, we know you are much greater than that pain. Lord, if there be any heart that needs to be changed right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that that heart be touched. God, that you would work a miracle in them, in each one of us, Lord, as you have. Continue to work in us, Lord, to regenerate us, to glorify your kingdom. God, as we finish this out today, I just thank you for the words that you've shared. I thank you for the message that you've given. Just ask that you continue to watch over each one. Go with us, lead us, and direct us. We pray these in your holy name. Amen. And again, we want to thank you for tuning in for our services here on our uh, podcast page. Thank you for listening and hope you had a blessed time with us. You can get more information on Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash newlandchristianchurch. And until next week, we hope you have a blessed week in the Lord.